Hi, welcome back to Sacred Conversations with Jane Patton. I am so excited to have my father with us here again today. He is an author, a pastor, a counselor, a teacher, a shepherd, just fill in the blank. Um, his name is Dr. Dave Martin. He shared with us on a previous uh a, uh, actually, you've been on two previous podcasts with us. You, uh, we, we had a podcast called Disappointment with God that like blew up. I mean, that's probably my the highest rated podcast we've had. I think that is indicative of a struggle that a lot of us have. Sure. You know, walking through that out, walking that out. Um, and then we did one on um, what was it? The one we did on marriage is happily mm-hmm. ever after a myth. That was mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And today we're moving on and we're talking about parenting. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm super excited about this. Uh, you and I were talking before the podcast began that there are, it's really, we're focused on trying to avoid the pitfalls and the traps mm-hmm. that come with parenting. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that they're like one of the traps we're going to cover, which is, I think we're going to start with this, which is pretty important to me is how to avoid the, the trap of comparison. And as a parent who's raising three children in a home, I have two teenagers and a 10-year-old at the time of this taping, I am amazed at how easy it is to compare one child against the other or, you know, with children of other families and, you know, the enemy coming against us saying you're failing in this area and what can, you know, what do we do better? And I know that you have, you know, not only obviously raised my brother and I who were completely different, we're still completely different, um, but you've done years of counseling. And so what are some of the traps that you see parents so easily stepping into, and how can we avoid those? Well, this is a great question. And uh, when you two were born, uh, your mom and I, we didn't have any instructions, any owner's manual, <laughs> what do you do? You right. know, when the firstborn, David was, in the words of James Dobson, Dr. Dobson, he was ended up being the compliant child. And easygoing, phlegmatic by temperament, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he still is. He, and, I mean, he, and he still yeah. is. And and they, your mother and I thought, oh, good, we'll have four more just like him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Doesn't work out. <laughs> no, but because he talks also about the strong-willed child. And when you were born, I mean, we jokingly say, when you were born, you you were born giving orders. Yeah, you know, it hasn't and, changed. No, when you were three, <laughs> I'll never forget. You looked at your mother and said, when you grow down and I grow up. I'll tell you what to do. That's exactly so, right. I, mean, but, <laughs> that's I, I still don't see the problem no, with that. Yeah, so. right, right, right. So <laughs> it, what happens is that as you're going along with the children, however many one has, I was raised with four boys. And, uh, they, had and, a, and a, they had a term for you guys. Yeah, they you called us the Martin Wrecking Crew. The we Wrecking lived, Crew, four we boys. In Boston, so it was horrible. But, but, uh, <laughs> but we were all different. And, uh, and, but for me, uh, with your mother and myself, we started reading because we knew if, if you know, not that we're going to get perfect, but we wanted to get it better, sure. perhaps, than we had it. Uh, we were reading a lot by Dobson. Dobson wrote, uh, James Dobson has written, Ross Campbell, I love him, Christian psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Ross Campbell, How to Really Love Your Child, How to Really Love Your Teenager, two excellent resources. Um, Parenting Isn't for Cowards by James Dobson. I love this one by Kevin Lehman, Living in a Step Family Without Being Stepped On. Uh, not that we have a step family, but I was raised in a step family. My, uh, I had a stepfather. So, anyway, these are great helps uh, to to me as you all were being raised. And the first parent trap that we realized was this issue of the parent trap of comparisons. Right now, Scripture warns us not to compare. Paul addresses that in Second Corinthians ten twelve. Tells us not to compare each other. In fact, I looked it up in the, in the message. I just want to read this quickly. Second Corinthians ten twelve says, "In all this comparing and grading." And competing, they quite miss the point. Yeah. And because why? Well, because 
you're unique mm -hmm. and David was unique. And so Dobson talks about the bent of the child and, and you were going one direction, David was going different. And you want to tailor uh, discipline and encouragement in the things that you want to do. I wanted you to be successful and effective at what you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. David wanted to try football. You wanted to be a cheerleader. Well, mm -hmm. that, that's great. I mean, it, it's my point was is trying to encourage you in the things that you would do well at, not what I think you should do well at, but what do you want to do? That's so key. And, you know, as a parent, I have all, all three of my children play sports. They're, right. I'm raising three athletes. Mm -hmm. um, but what I see a lot happening are parents vicariously living out their dreams and putting mm -hmm. on their children expectations that their children were never, they weren't mm -hmm. created to, you know, fulfill that dream that their parent has for them. And so how do you think parents can become more aware of the bent of, of their child to know how to discipline, how to train them, how to point them. What is it, what would you say is a key? Well, you become a student of your child. And in my case, being raised, my folks exposed us to sports, yeah. a little league and baseball. And uh, I did pretty decent at that, but I wasn't ever going to be a professional. Mm -hmm. And uh, they encouraged piano playing. You know, they encouraged my brother John to play a violin. That mm -hmm. was torture. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine you ever playing the piano. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. But you know, they they exposed us to a lot of things to see sure. us to kind of find our niche. You know, sure. whatever we thought we would do well. That's at. good. And that, and that's good. And but my folks never tried to, in my case anyway, or or, or my brothers, to vicariously live their lives mm -hmm. through us to be something that they weren't or that they were. Mm -hmm. uh, but they wanted us to develop as a fully functioning human beings based on what our strengths or weaknesses were. Right. And to focus on your strengths. You you can always make your strengths stronger. But if you're like say at a level one of ten and say you're a level four in some area, you'll never be more than maybe a six mm -hmm. in that. So why focus on all your weaknesses? Just focus mm -hmm. on what you do well mm -hmm. and let other people help, help you out in your weaknesses. So, but we just learned early on, like we, we can't compare you and, and David. It was a uh, scripture warned not to do that. So we became students of you. What did, what did you have inclinations that you like to do? And we tried to expose you to a number of different things. And if you said, I want to go try out for being a cheerleader, I said, great. Let's go. And when you were doing that, we'd drive to here to watch you, mm -hmm. you know, be a cheerleader. And we even, your mom and I even said, well, she's on her niche, you know, in front mm -hmm. of people and whatever. Now you're doing that now. <laughs> and I just cheerlead for the and Lord. Now, now you do. I just cheerlead for God. <laughs> right. I'm on God's team. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably happy I went that direction. So. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my well, goodness. It does, but the, the scripture is pretty explicit about the need for us to accept each other. Romans 15, 7 talks about accept one another. And uh, just as Christ accepted us, and I, and this is accepting the children, accepting David, accepting you, and then you with yours, and I'm so proud of what you guys are doing like with your children. And but again, for most of us starting out, we don't know. Maybe sometimes of our parenting, how we were parented, we think, well, I don't, I don't want what was done to me, done to my kids, but. I don't necessarily know how to do what I want to do. And that's why I recommend these books, like Ross Campbell's book and How to Really Love Your Child and How to Really Love Your Teenager. That's good. Uh, and well, I read those, and uh, they, we, they were so helpful. One of the things, I'm going to stop here for a second. Sure. I think, and, and as a 40, almost 46-year-old woman now, I do have friends that we have conversations that are very pointed where they don't want to raise their children the same way that they were raised. True. And I know mm -hmm. that if you were, had time to sit with, and have coffee across the table with people, you would let people know, you're very open about it, that your father was an alcoholic an mm -hmm. abusive alcoholic, and that you purposely decided you were not going
going to raise your children um, in that kind of environment. And so was it through reading the books that you were able to work some of that discipline out or that anger out or that frustration or the, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Because I think that there are just natural things that we pick up when we're in home environments that are not safe, that it's Mm -hmm. so easy you know, Mm -hmm. to, how, how do you allow, how how does transformation happen so that you don't parent the same way you were parented as opposed to just, I'm going to tip my hand on this one because it goes to the core of my value system is that, uh, Lord Jesus is my savior, personal savior. I make no apology for that. And the, uh, that informs God's word informs my value system. We don't make decisions in a moral vacuum. That's good. Uh, whether it's the culture or the church or our friends or the Hollywood, whomever, uh, that is informing our value system. Well, I wanted to, the Bible, I always say people, to tell people, and I even do weddings, I said, you know, if you, you, you get married, you probably got gifts given to you, and you got a toaster, or you got a, a weed whacker, whatever. You know, whatever you got, you got a book. You know, if you got a weed whacker, you got a book. If you get an iPhone, you get a book. Well, I'd say if you get a life, you get a book. And the Bible's like God's owner's manual. God has the patent on the product, uh, marriage. And so here's how some practical ways that we can try to get it better than we had it given to us. And so that informs my, my value system and things that I've learned in the books that I recommend now, like Ross Campbell's books or Kevin Lehman's book or James Dobson's book, have a way of reinforcing it or giving specific guidelines on how to avoid the traps and and how to you know try to get it better than perhaps it was given to us growing up. That's good. That's good. Okay, so what is another? Is you know, anything else about comparison, or do you want to move on to another trap that we can fall into? Well, or? I think another trap is a parent trap of permissiveness. What does you that know, mean? Well, it means let the kids do whatever they want. You know, sure. No guidelines. No boundaries. No restrictions. Uh, have anything and everything that they want. And there are some downsides, uh, certainly, uh, with that. It tends to be, at the end, self-defeating and self-destructive for the child. There's some uh, great examples of, of this in, in Scripture. First Samuel 3.13, uh, Eli is the high priest, right. and he doesn't restrain his kids. And right. so they go complete sideways, and it's, it's a terrible outcome. Um, Somebody even made a quote because I was in preparation for this time. I, I got a couple of key quotes on this particular one. One author asked the question, why is our society producing so many psychopaths and degenerates? Why are so many violent crimes being committed by kids who have not entered, not even entered their teen years? Why do so many apparently, quote, normal, end quote, families produce delinquent kids? I believe all these or those phenomena are rooted in the hands-off style so popular among modern parents, self-esteem has superseded self-control. Wow. Yeah, and that I thought, wow, that just is piercing. Uh, Ann Landers once, years ago, she got a, uh, this in the mail. She said, dear Ann Landers, I'm a 16-year-old girl who's a nervous wreck from getting yelled at. All I hear morning till night is stop smoking, get off the phone, hang up your clothes, do your homework, and clean up your room. How can I get them off my back? Her case signed, sick of parents. You know what she wrote? Dear sick. Stop smoking, get off the phone, hang up your clothes <laughs> and do your homework, and clean up your room. You know, I mean, it's kind of like hands-on, get involved, and, you know, try to help give some direction here. Um, I know that's so, true, and I would say I think that's yeah. true for for people who do a hands-off approach, and I've seen products of that in every grade level as my children have aged where parents have a hands-off. But, but then you have, on the other hand, 
parents who really love their children and who are completely hands off and still spin out into orbit. Yeah, you, you, there, there's, um, the, the challenge is for me, what does God hold me accountable for? What, what, what does he want me to do that's in the best interest, ideally, for you? Sure. And trying to structure that discipline and that care uh, to you and that teaching to you. I think a lot of parents want to be their child's friend. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I certainly want to be your friend. <laughs> I want to be David's friend. But first, I'm the parent. Right. And if I do this right with balance, you know, balancing discipline with love and loving discipline, whatever, and guidance, then then we'll be friends. Right. You know, but I'm my point is, is that if I really care about you, I will discipline you. If I don't care about you, right. I won't discipline you. Right. Uh, it's like someone else's child behaves a certain way. Well, that's, that's not my child. Right. So I don't have any personal vested interest, perhaps, in offering anything that direction. But I do have, you know, an interest in you and, right. and your well-being. And ideally, uh, in an ideal world, which we're not, but, but never the, my point is that in an ideal situation, you're trying to do everything you can for the benefit Right. Of that child. Did you always think it was helpful at the time? No. no I yeah. didn't when it was given to me. No child for the time thinks this is helpful. But later, later, the scripture says it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And, and I, that's kind of what we're hoping for is an outcome here. Now, even if you do everything right, uh, and whatever that looks like, right. the kids, the children still can go south. Right. I, I don't want to pretend that that doesn't happen. It, it can and it does happen. I was reminded years ago, I was listening to James Dobson. He was doing an interview with someone who was talking about when kids go sideways, when you have prodigal children or whatever. And he makes the observation that, you know, here you have Adam and Eve, and they have a perfect parent, God. Right. They have a perfect home environment, Eden. They even have the perfect spouse, Adam with Eve, Eve, and they still chose to go sideways. Right. So we don't blame God. Well, God, it's your fault. No, they, we own it. Right. Individually. We own, we own our choices. And I've shared with you guys, both you and David, you know, every chair has to stand on its own four legs. You know, you, we'll do all that we can for you, but ultimately the, the end result is yours. Your, right. your decision to make, it's your life. And when we used to say, as you, when you were younger, growing up through teen years, I'll never forget, I had this conversation with both you and David when you were 17. Uh, you were really ready to get out of the house. I mean, you let me know. And I remember that. But I, but I learned this with these words from one of the books I read. So it was one of those songs I tucked away for that moment in time if sure. it ever occurred, and it did. And uh, I said, look, Jane, and I said, look, David, we agree on the goal, and that's your independence. We may just disagree on how to get there, but if we'll be patient with each other, we'll get you there. Right. And we did. And that's kind of the hope and point of most parents, I think. So I'm going to take this conversation just a little bit differently. But I think that one of the traps that we can fall into, and I don't know if this is on your list or not, but one of the traps we fall into, I think, as parents uh, is feeling like every bad decision our child makes is our fault. Mm. Right. You know, like Mm -hmm. everything they did, if we had just had more money, if we had just had more opportunity, if my child had just had better education, if I had been a stay at home mom, if I had actually gone to work, I could have shown them that you can work and and take care of your, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a whole variety of, Mm -hmm. and we bear this weight and this 
guilt. You know, I think it's false guilt because I think it's a trap Mm -hmm. that we fall into. So how would you counsel the, the woman or the man who comes to you with this guilt that they just wish they could go back in time and do it differently? I mean, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, which I am, but it's, there's a lot of things that I wish I could do differently. And I still have, I have an almost 18 year old, almost 17 year old, again, and a 10 year old in the home. So we talked about this, but I, even right now, there's things that I wish I could go back, you know, that I just have this weight and this guilt sometimes that just comes at me. Boy, if I had just done this, if I had responded differently here, if I had just not done that, then maybe there would be a different result than what we're currently experiencing you know, so how, how would you counsel a parent that comes to you like that? Well, I would say, first of all, there is a heaven, and this is not it. Right. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Uh, we, we're broken people, and we're all trying to, if we're Jesus people, trying to follow him and seek his best and his will in our lives. I think God has provided us a way to address our failures, and that is when we look at our children and we feel like we failed, we say, will you forgive me? Right. I blew it here. Uh, we sometimes think mistakenly that if we ask forgiveness, they'll think less of us. Well, no, actually, they'll think less of us if we don't ask forgiveness. That's good. Because they already know we blew it, as as do we. You touched on false guilt, or on guilt and false guilt. I think there is a distinction, though, between false guilt and real guilt. The problem comes in that we they feel the same, and so it's hard to distinguish which is false and which is real guilt. I think false guilt is when we break one of man's standards. If your father grazes you and, and says, you know, children to be seen, not heard, and then if you talk out, you feel guilty for talking out or something. Well, that's false guilt because you broke a man-made rule. That's good. But genuine guilt is when we break one of God's rules. And so the idea of the guilt is to get us to confess that we were wrong. And if it's, if, if it's just in my mind and nobody else knows, I could just confess it to God. Mm-hmm. If I have a bad thought towards you, I don't say... Jane, will you forgive me? You didn't know, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so only God knew. But but if I speak harshly or, you know, in, in a way I shouldn't towards you or anyone else, I ask God to forgive me because all sin's against God ultimately, but then it needs to be horizontal. I need to ask you to forgive me. And if I did it in a group of people, then I would ask God to forgive me and I ask you to forgive me. I ask the whole group, will you forgive me for how I just talked to my daughter? Mm-hmm. So the circle of confessions is why it's a circle of offense in that respect. But when it comes to trying to raise children and you do the best you can, uh, at some point, you know, uh, the child has to own his or her decisions. Mm-hmm. Ideally, as the child is growing, you're giving them more and more. Dobson calls this like letting out a kite mm-hmm. with string, and you let the kite get higher and higher. Now, if you see it going towards the high wire, or mm-hmm. you're gonna get, you pull on it real quick to get it, get it up and get away to, for safety. But ideally, you're trying to release the string mm-hmm. so that when the child is an adult at the age of 18, in any case, legally. Mm-hmm. You're, in fact, I said that to both you and David. You are now legally mm-hmm. on your, I am no longer legally responsible for you. I will always feel morally responsible. Mm-hmm. I am your parent, I love you dearly, but now these decisions are yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to tell you what to do. If you want my counsel, I'll be glad to offer it. If you don't want to know, don't ask. <laughs> right. We said that to each other, I'm sure you know. But uh, but it's, it's always with the intent of, What's going to help you? And if I blew it, when I blew it, not if, when, and I have lots of experience with that, then I just said, will you forgive me for what I said or what I did or didn't do or didn't say that I should have done? Uh, because again, this is, we, we live in this broken, fractured world and it, fortunately, thankfully, you know, God has given us in his word a way not to justify our wrong decision, but how to rectify 
and to try to remedy some of that by asking for forgiveness. I think about adult parents raising their adult kids, and I think that there's so much more awareness that comes as your children grow into adulthood, Mm -hmm. where they are able to, where they might have held great a great deal of resentment against a parent for a decision they made, but they had no idea until they're actually adults and actually married and actually going through heartaches of their own or financial, you know, hardships of their own, do they have a deeper understanding? Um, but and, and there's a, a sweetness that can come back into the relationship where hardness, you know, had tried to take root. Uh, but I think that you hit on a key point on the difference between false guilt and re- real guilt, um, because I, I also know that parents will are t- oftentimes adult children want to continue to blame their parents for um, their failures or their, you know, and, and whatever. But once a parent has apologized for their whatever they did, fill in the blank, that hurt that child, they really need to entrust that child then with the Lord to continue to mm-hmm. heal, bring about healing, bring about restoration, uh, but not to, you know, spend the rest of your life groveling or trying to make up for, you know, there's just, we've all failed in parenting. And I just don't think there's any perfect parents. And, uh, and the enemy's always wanting to trip us up and make us think that what we did is so bad. Um, and, but we need to ask forgiveness, and then we need to move on toward restoration and reconciliation and allow God time to deal with the heart mm-hmm. of, the, of the individual, of our child, you know, as they grow. I remember a story of uh, two, two brothers. Uh, one was an alcoholic and one was a surgeon. And they were interviewed and asked the question. I believe they were twins in the story, but nevertheless, one one was asked. The alcoholic son was asked, "Well, how do you explain your life?" And he said, "Well, my father was an alcoholic, so what would you expect? That's why I'm an alcoholic." So he justified or legitimized his decisions because he had an alcoholic father. So when they went to the other brother and asked, who is a successful surgeon, "How do you explain your life?" He said, "Well, look at the father I had." You see, both of them looked at the father, but one chose a different way than the other brother. So, again, this is why I say you you have your choices. You you own your your decisions. And while, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this because there's so many, you know, different directions that this conversation could go. At the at the end of the day, I have to figure out. I have to you know stand before God and say, oh, what where. Where did I do right and where did I do wrong? And wherever I did wrong, you know, I'll try to ask forgiveness for mm-hmm. that. Um, not that I intended to do that. And I really so. feel like I deserved a larger allowance. <laughs> I feel like you need to come to me. I just think you should have formed a union. You could ignore <laughs> that. Probably going to have. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, that, that's, that's good. I wanted, I'm glad we went um, down sure. that road for a little bit. But I know one of the things that we talked about um, with... Um, traps that we can fall into is not just comparison, but also um, a hands-off approach to yeah. parenting mm-hmm. and um, the falsehood that being hands-off is going to somehow produce hard-working, well-meaning parenting, but that we actually do need to be involved, um, you know, right. and that our influence yeah. is actually greater than what society tells us even that it is. Well, another parent trap for us is uh, one-minute one minute parenting. One-minute parenting? Uh, it's like I sit down with my kid, all right, I got five minutes, tell me what's important in your life. Well, that's not going to happen. Right. Children need chunks of time. You got to mine a lot of ore before you get the gold. That's good. And uh, What is it they spell? Love, T-I-M-E? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and again, the, the challenge for any of us in parenting is to 
uh, it's not just to uh, earn a living, you know, for our family, but it's to deepen our relationship with our children. There was a study done, I got this note here in front of me, to, but there was a study that revealed that children only have about 15 minutes of interaction with a parent each day. Wow. And 12 of those minutes are spent critiquing the child, instructing the child, or criticizing the child. Good night. With at least three minutes a day for fun, laughing together, talk about the things that matter most to the parent or the child. I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the song Cats in the Cradle right. by Harry Chabon, but oh, that that nailed me in the early years. Oh, my word. And that was uh, actually, the melody was written as a, sort of an autobiography of his family life. So I thought, oh, God help me, you know, because yeah. I needed to do this better. Uh, you know, again, I wasn't, my dad was the alcoholic, so I wasn't an alcoholic, but I had some of the attitudes of selfishness and, you know, I'm on my own. I may not have the addiction, but I had a lot of the priorities messed up that my dad manifested because I saw that model. So that song was instructive to me to change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody once said years ago, until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of change, most people remain the same. Yeah. And uh, so I realized I, I got to do something different here. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. And the uh, you know, first rule of hole digging is when you find yourself in one, stop digging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, of hole digging? Yeah, The first digging. rule of hole digging. Yeah, the first rule of hole digging is yeah. that when you find yourself in one, you stop digging. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, again, I started reading these books, wanted to figure out how to do this better. And uh, raising a daughter, interestingly enough, is different uh, than raising a son. Um, I knew that uh, this whole touchy-feely thing, you know, and, and as a guy, I was raised with brothers, so I didn't know really how to relate to females except my mother, and she was a strong little woman, you know, so. Loved her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, <laughs> She's my goal. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, she right. took me gambling. <laughs> We'd yeah. walk into her house. It was smoke-filled. Yeah, I mean, nobody was going to tell her oh, yeah. what to do. Oh, yeah. She was definitely working against my better interests. <laughs> I loved oh, that. Oh, I know you did, and, and we never too. But uh, here, here's the thing. I, I remember reading one of the books because I, I knew that uh, as you were becoming a teenager, I wanted to be, how do I relate to you as a teenager? And I recall one time, you know, the, the huggy, the, we, you know, we hug him, it's a little, not so much when you get teenagers. So I remember something I read by Ross Campbell that just the touch was so critical to the daughter and so I would come up behind you and I would just pat you on the arm, nothing long. And you were okay with that. I'll never forget you and I were walking away from a, a restaurant or something. And you, you chose to put your arm, hand through my arm. But, and, and you just, you, I let you take the initiative, you know right. what I'm saying? So right. that there was trying to figure out how to find this balance in, in responding to uh, the teenage girl. And again, back to these books, I recommended they were so helpful to me on the, by Ross Campbell. But the why do you want many parenting just does the whole work. You've got to carve out time. You won't make time. You won't find time. You've you got to make, make it. time. Yeah. Uh, to have these conversations and uh, and yeah and you ask well what you know tell me what's going on in your world catch me up and you and a lot of times <laughs> when we're teenagers our answers are like monosyllabic. Yeah. Yes, nothing. No. Nothing. Or grunt. Yeah. You know. Uh, but again, just keep the radar on. You know, keep the uh, keep the ears open. Yeah. Uh, because later when times come tough, which they will for the child, and later when they have harder decisions to make, they if they feel like the communication lines are open and they're not going to be shut down or bounce, you know, trounced upon, then they'll come and say, "Dad, what do you think, think about, about this?" this. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is 
one of the things on your uh, on your notes that you have about another trap is a trap of spiritual self discovery. Yeah. What is that when it comes to parenting? Well, um, you know, I'll have parents who, who said to me, "Well, I'm not going to make my child go to the church. I'm going to let them discover that on their own." And now I've I've learned, of course, to about this. I'll say, "Okay, so do you apply the same thing to school?" Oh no, they have to go to school. I mean, the law requires them, but the law doesn't require them to go to church. I said, "Right, nor, nor should they." Uh, but at the same time, your children are not making decisions in a moral vacuum. You know, other things are influencing their peers and others are influencing their decisions. So you want to help shape it, not, you know, you do, not just dump them off at a Sunday school or dump them off at a VBS. Uh, spiritual self-discovery is something that parents are modeling as well as the children are learning. So, you know, up until they're a certain age, children do what you say. After that, they do what you do. That's good. One of the things that we've talked about even as, as, as adults um, is the fact that my because my ch- kids are athletes, we're going to talk about this for a minute, a lot of our... And, and we live in a society that does not stop for pl- for playing games on Sundays. And you've right. got groups of families that have made the decision that my children will not play a sport on a fa- on a Sunday. And I support that if that's what they choose to sure. do. Um, our family has not chosen that. Our children do play sports on Sundays. They're part of a team. That team expects them to be there. But I'll, so so signing up to be a part of this, paying to be a part of this, and just saying, well, I'm there, but I'm not there on this date. That leaves a hole in the team. Um, and so one of the things that we have decided as a family through much prayer and conversation is that our faith and our relationship with the Lord is not a Sunday only thing. Right. This is something we model every single day of our lives. Right. Our children uh, get up and see me sitting in the same place on the couch every single morning having my time with the Lord. There is, you know, there's a rhythm to our life with the Lord. We pray about things and we talk about the Lord and um, we read the scriptures and we have them posted around our houses. They lifestyle is not a Sunday only thing. Um, but I remember being rebuked by a person, um, a clergy member actually, who came at me on a Sunday morning uh, because I was not, I, I was taking a picture of my son playing baseball on a Sunday morning. And in fact, this person that attacked me was embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from the church where he was serving at um, and doing other multiple things. And yet he was coming at me for not sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. And I, and I remember that just a burned me the wrong way because I think we can go through the trappings and make sure that our rears are sitting in a pew every single Sunday and live like the devil every other day of the week and somehow think that we're winning because our children are at church on Sunday. I wish with everything in me we had a culture that supported um, and I know not everybody's going to agree. And I'm okay with everybody not agreeing. I'm okay with that because we've come to this as a family unit. Um, you know, my, my husband and my children and I, that that sometimes, not every Sunday for heaven's sakes, but on some Sundays when we do travel out of town for out-of-town tournaments, they do play the sport on a Sunday. Um, but but we don't leave our... And I, there's a part of me too, I remember having a conversation with a dear mentor, uh, Nancy Duchak, who I've known for a thousand years. <laughs> And I'm always like, if all the churches are, if all the people, all the Christians that love the Lord are in church on Sunday, then who's bringing Jesus to the ball field? You know what I mean? Who's bringing Jesus to the soccer fields? Who's bringing Jesus? I bring Jesus everywhere I go. And so it's, uh, but growing up, we didn't do that. Growing up, you know, we were, of course, our dad was the pastor. We had better be in church, you know? I mean, like, I understand that too. But I think that there is a balance. I think that we've got to not 
look at people who, and maybe I'm a little defensive on this, and that's okay because it's my podcast. I can say whatever I want to. <laughs> but I think that we can be honest and open and not judge other people's level of Christianity as to whether or not they're allowing their child to play a sport on Sunday. I mean, when I grew up, obviously, we didn't go shopping on Sunday. We didn't go grocery shopping. We had we did nothing. We went to church, took a nap. <laughs> you had to take a nap on Sunday. Yeah, ten to aerobics. T- yes. <laughs> and, then we t- and then we'd go to church on Sunday night, right. you know. And so, but that, you know, it, it's not a negate because I allow my child to play a sport on Sunday. It does not negate my love and my deep relationship, my intimacy with the Lord. No, I think part of the challenge is right in the culture, whatever decade you want to use, we, we've developed a kind of silo mentality. It's just everything happens on Sunday and during the rest of the week. Well, we hope you, you know, hope you walk with the Lord, you know, but, but we need a more holistic approach from my vantage point because now I know, for instance, that, you know, I've been in a church where we had Saturday worship. And Saturday night worship, and we had two Sunday morning worships, and uh, so and people can we we've Sunday's great, but Sunday doesn't always work for some people. Some people like healthcare workers are working on yeah. Sunday, so and I will say it? that's a good point. We have attended church. In fact, the church that we attended uh, for a long time when our kids were doing Sunday sports is had two services on Saturday nights, sure. as, and so we would go on Saturday night, right. you know, as well but, as. But I'm but, just saying. But the holistic approach is that you're worshiping all along. The week, the worship is not just a once an hour or once a day, but uh, worship is all week long. Right. And I know that's what's going on in your family. I know that's what's going on in, in our family. And so, you know, it just, uh, it works. If it's a more holistic approach. Right. To, Which uh, is really what it should be. Yeah. It's not, our, our yeah. faith in the Lord should not just be something we do on Sundays. No. So we can't judge, you know, first of all, we shouldn't be judging, but I don't think it's fair to place that judgment on families that do that. Um, and the trap of falling, of placing that, of that judgment call on other people. Yeah. Um, and in closing, what is one final thing that you'd want to say about having, having to avoid, helping to avoid some of these traps that we can fall into? Well, I don't know if this necessarily answers your question, but I think that uh, it begins with being teachable. You know, I remember years ago that what God's looking for is fat people. <laughs> fat, well, I qualify! Fat <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> fa- so it's, it's, it's an acronym. Oh. It means uh, faithful. Uh, it's required of a steward that a man be found faithful, uh, available. Uh, God, I'm available. Here am I, like Isaiah, you know, here am I, send me, and teachable. I think a man made that acronym. It Well, it may have. But, <laughs> oh, oh I see what you No, no. Because it's fat. I'm <laughs> no, going to no, do no. something. It's pretty. Okay, you have well, to be work, work powerful <laughs> okay, good. and righteous. There you go. <laughs> okay. I, I had this, this cute little email. Did, it, this was sent to me some time back, but it, it's, it's one I wrote down for this particular interview. Uh, but, it, you know, to let you know, Jesus be the Lord of your life and to rule your life. Well, anyway, this is a, a mother. Well, she, it says that a mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three. The boys began to argue who, who would get the first pancake. Uh, their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson and said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Not the truth. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. I enjoyed this conversation. (laughs) Parenting's hard. It is. is not for the faint of heart. I think that we all make mistakes, and I think looking at other families and thinking that they're doing it better than you is a trap. 
You know, I think that a trap of busyness is something that we can, we, these are practical things that we can stop. You know, the fact that we're spending 15 minutes a day with our kids and 13 minutes of it is critiquing or criticizing and uh, three minutes is only the good time. And half, I was thinking about that when you said that, dad, I was thinking about those three minutes may even be consumed with talking about what the parent wants to talk about. As opposed to the kid. But let me just add one more thought before sure. we end this. Uh, one of the other traps, I'm just going to say, is, is a trap of marital neglect. And what I mean by that is, and your mother and I were discussing this, as you all were growing up. This is good. We, wanted to, we had Friday night as our date night. Mm-hmm. D-A-T-E, Dave and Terry's evening. I know that worked out. That was clever. But it was important, a priority to us. Because we knew that at some point, you guys would be gone. Mm-hmm. And we did not want her pouring her life into you. And I'm pouring my life into the job. And we... You guys turn 18, we look at each other, and who are you right. as, as couples? So we continued to develop and cultivate our lives as a couple mm-hmm. that was kind of independent of what we were doing with, with you guys. And uh, we also thought that was important to model that. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so then when you did launch and you had the WMD empty nest, and it was hard for both of us uh, when you guys left because we love you dearly, um, but we still were growing as a couple. Right. And that's such a critical piece of the whole you know, puzzle and parenting. and That's so good. Because it can. Baby. It's we're, yeah. we're consumed with, and I think it's good, you know, with working and with trying to raise the kids. And it, it's like two ships passing in the night, yeah. you know, unless yeah. you make time for it. Yeah. Boy, take, I'm telling take, you. Pull into the port. There's so much with the Lord, as, as I think about all these conversations, that takes intention. It like, does. we have to be married on purpose. And we have to parent mm-hmm. on purpose. And we mm-hmm. have to m- spend time with the Lord and grow in wisdom on purpose. Because the world is purposed to keep us away from all of those things. So for us to go against the tide and do the opposite thing, we've got to make decisions. I'm in this marriage. I'm in this role as a parent. I'm in this role that I manage my time. The world may think it tells me what's important, but I know that I get to choose how my day is spent. And uh, starting it off with the Lord and involving him in every aspect. I appreciate your time so much. Absolutely. I am so grateful for you. I'm grateful you get to be on my podcast. For those that are listening, we tried this four separate times before (laughs) before we actually got to this one. It kept messing up. And I was like, well, if I mess up as a new podcaster, I'm glad it's with you. (laughs) The acceptance is strong in this family. So, all right. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye.